In our second reading today, we hear the very beginning of the first of St. Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. So I think as, as we said before, Paul went to various churches and various cities and founded churches there, and he would write letters to them. So this in, the Thess- in, in Thessalonica is the name of the city where he was, which was a capital in, in the Macedonian region of the Roman Empire. Um, we know from the Acts of the Apostles that St. Paul's time in Thessalonica was not a very like, peaceful time. They write in the Acts of the Apostles that after three weeks there, there, there was an uproar such that people said the whole city was turned upside down. And what Paul was doing... They said it was because that they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar and saying that there's another king, this man named Jesus. So because Paul was coming and proclaiming Jesus as the Lord, as the king, as the Messiah, the anointed one, that threw the whole city into an uproar. Turned the whole, their whole city was turned upside down. A thing that's important for us today, I want to examine three things around what happened in Thessalonica. First is, what did Paul do? Why, what did Paul actually do to throw the city into an uproar? Why, is, why does Caesar keep coming up? It comes up in the Gospel. It came up in, this, in Thessalonica. The idea of a king was, was present in the first reading. What does the, this idea of Caesar have to do? And what does that mean for us today? Those are the three questions we're going to look at today. What did Paul do? What did, what, what did Paul do that caused Thessalonica to be turned upside down to come into an uproar? The, the beautiful and crazy thing is that Paul didn't really do anything spectacular. He didn't do anything revolutionary. What Paul did there was the same they did everywhere. First and foremost, though, he encountered Jesus Christ. Paul had an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. He, he received the love and the mercy of God such that no matter what he did, no matter his sins, no matter how unworthy he felt he was, no matter what kind of argument, no matter what excuse he could throw up, he, he received God in a particularly life-defining way. He knew and had a relationship with God. In that moment, and probably moments after that, of, for, since his conversion on, were trans- that, that gave every moment of his life its definition, its purpose. That relationship and that encounter gave meaning and it gave a mission to Paul that would carry him through the rest of his life. Through countless torments, trials, persecutions, struggles, sufferings, everything. Because he had this encounter with Jesus Christ. That was the defining characteristic of, he he talks about it over and over again, that was the one thing that gave his life meaning. What he did in all these cities of the churches that, uh, that he founded was simply just tell everybody of what he had experienced. He shared the love that he encountered in Jesus Christ with the Jews, with the Gentiles, with the leaders, with the poor people, with everybody that he encountered. He just proclaimed the love of Jesus Christ and that that was the most important thing. Nothing else trumped that experience that he had because he, he knew that. He knew whatever he held as the high point before, perhaps it was the law as a good Jew, but now that this, this, this was the thing, and if you hold anything else as number one, then you're missing out on something incredibly important. That comes, brings us to the second question. So he didn't do anything spectacular, he just, this is my experience. A lot of the people, most of them, didn't have Jesus as their number one. It was either the law, 
It was either the Caesar who proclaimed himself, it was like the god of the Roman people. The leader of Rome proclaimed himself a deity. He, He portrayed himself as a god to the people. So that was their number one. Paul, just by his witness, was trying to remove the number one thing and put in a new number one thing, which is not an easy process for, for people. That causes an uproar. Well, wait, I have, to, I have to change the whole way that I look at the world. And you're telling me that the faith comes in and it, it becomes the number one thing that defines even, even the, the, the governmental roles? Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. That seems to think like, okay, I can, you can take that as almost like a, okay, here's the, here's the government, here's the, the worldly things, here's the religious things. The two boxes don't intermix. What St. Paul is trying to do, and what Jesus, I think, is inviting us to do, is to answer, if we look at the question, okay, what does belong to God? Everything. There's nothing that's apart from God's providence. There's nothing that apart, that's apart from God's plan. God uses everything to make his kingdom present in the world. He uses everything to draw us into that same encounter with him as Paul did. He uses lots of broken experiences, lots of broken people, lots of broken systems to bring his love and his kingdom to manifest in our life and in our world. It's not a this and that over here, but God is actually intimately involved with all of that. That's why in the first reading, if you notice, it talks about God's anointed named Cyrus. Cyrus was a pagan king who invaded the Holy Land. God used a pagan king to actually set off the process that would end in the restoration of Jerusalem. God used a very broken man. Probably he didn't care about the law. He didn't care about morality. He was just trying to conquer lands. But God was able to work through him, even him, to bring about the restoration of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple for the people of Israel. What that shows is that there's nothing outside of God's power that he can't use to to make his love known in the world. He used a man who killed Christians, St. Paul, to become the primary and number one apostle and and proclaimer of the good news to all parts of of the Gentile world. There's nothing that's outside of God's power. Which is a side note I think is pertinent for us because it shows us that no matter what happens, like we know who's actually in control. We hear things like, you know, if so-and-so, if this happens, then we're done for, right? God has worked through broken people and broken systems for centuries. He's not, he's not small enough that he, that he stops. He's in control. Paul knew that. And Paul was trying to change the vision of a people to see, no, this is the most important thing. And not just because of like good feelings, but because like God is actually doing good things in the most unexpected of situations. Now what does all of that have to do with us? The message and the mission that St. Paul had is the very same mission that God has entrusted to each one of us. St. Paul was not a particularly skilled philosopher or theologian. He says multiple times, like, I don't come to you with these big words of wisdom or, or, or deep insights. All St. Paul did was, was share his testimony. He had an experience of God and he told that to other people. 
and simply by proclaiming what he had experienced in his life, that changed the whole world. Initially into an uproar, but eventually that's, that's what spread Christianity. Paul and the other apostles just telling their experience of the love of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us can, like, we don't, we're not trained, we don't have to be trained, but every single one of us has, a, has, a, has a, te- a testimony, a story of how God has worked in our life. Some big ways, like St. Paul, some little ways. They're all experiences of the love of God that define our life. And the, our mission is to just do what Paul did and to tell that to people. If it's not, it may, it may not be standing out on the corner of the street, perhaps like Paul would have done, but we all know people We all know people who desire the love of Jesus, and we all have a call to, in those relationships, share the love that we've experienced in our own hearts. But the key, I think, is to what made Paul particularly successful, as he wasn't, you know, he may have had some some speaking skills, but I think what made Paul successful is that I think that he was wise in not just going out and doing his thing, but he always would found a church. He had always found a community because he knew that he couldn't do this on his own. If it was just Paul going around doing his thing, that wouldn't have lasted very long. He had, he had helpers. He had, like the second reading said, Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, among others, as his close, his close confidants. He would found churches, communities that would come together so that even when he wasn't there, they would then go out and spread that message to everyone. Paul himself couldn't convert Thessalonica But Paul, with the church that he was founding, with the people who he shared to, they could transform a city. They could turn the whole city upside down. It's because he worked together with the people in in, in the areas where he went that the message was able to be proclaimed. That's why the church all around the world is founded around parishes. We can't just come and be one person doing it. There's so much, there's such an incredible power in a community coming together, proclaiming the witness of God that they've experienced in their life. That's why, that's why Holy Cross exists. That's why every parish exists. To become a community of missionaries to go and proclaim that message. That's why on all of the branding and the bulletins and everything, we have come, worship, belong, right? Come together as a community. Worship together, experience God and then invite people to come and to belong to this encounter that we've, that we've experienced, that we've had, to receive the love that we've received. That's what, that's what Paul did, and that's what our call to do is. Particularly here at Holy Cross, I've seen, I've, got, I've gotten a glimpse of it firsthand, but seen from afar the ways that we've continued to do that. Right? It, it, the pandemic threw, a, threw a, a wrench in everybody's plans. But the gospel can't be stopped. God's not able to be bound by that. Right? We're, things like, you know, we, we've continued to outreach through an increased online presence. We've continued, when back before we could have Mass, doing things like drive-through confession and drive-in adoration out here. Blessing of palms so that we can drive and pick up. Right? Things that we as a community can do, and when we're not able to come here, participate in Mass with our families and pray with our families. Right? Nothing can stop the gospel. Things that we've done now and before, such as like kicking off small group formation, 
bringing communities intentionally together. I think, Father, I think 12% of our parish participated in a small group formation, which is incredible. We're continuing to dive deeper into God's Word and into our faith so that we can better proclaim that. Restructuring youth formation such that we can help our young people come into an encounter with Jesus. That's the purpose of everything, to bring people into that encounter so that we can then proclaim what we've experienced. We're only able to do all that. If it was just me and Father Bryce, we would be able to do like 2% of that. But it's because we're together as a parish family, giving of ourselves together to that same mission, that we're able to even make a, do, do the smallest bit of this mission. We couldn't do this if we weren't together in that. The pandemic um, has certainly thrown a wrench in it, but not such a way that the gospel is, it can be stopped. Our message, the message of Jesus, is going to go out to all the limits of the world if we're in this together. Prayer is the number one thing. Praying as a parish family for the mission of the parish, we can't ever forget that. If we don't pray for the mission of this parish, of this family, that's what gives it supernatural life. A little Our Father, a little Hail Mary, a little sacrifice that I do, a little penance, does in, has infinite value in allowing God's supernatural grace to fuel what we do. The time that, that so many people volunteer we wouldn't be, it wouldn't work if we didn't do this together. And there's an ever-growing ever need for more people to continue to donate time to help make the, the, the logistical things work such that always at the service of the, mission of, of the mission of encounter. And offerings. It doesn't, it, that our parish is funded solely by what we receive. What we're beginning to do next week is you'll, each parishioner is going to receive a little envelope in the mail. It's called Come Worship Along. And it's a, 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 the whole point of the mission is that we can continue all of the good things that we've been doing into the future. But there's a need that we all, we all come to support this together. In the envelope that you're going to receive, there's a brochure and a little commitment card. And the, the invitation is to simply pray, God, what are you asking me to do? How can I support my parish family? How, can I, how are you calling me to participate in this mission? Whether that's giving a, a particular amount and, and offering a, a volunteer service or a particular form of prayer. The invitation is, God, just pray. God, what are you asking me to do? Whether that's like the biblical standard of, of they say 10% is what Abraham gave, whether like if that's not possible, like what can I give, whether it's three to five or five to seven or whatever that is, maybe it might be more. God, what are you asking me to do? Because every single one of us is called to come together in the mission in all kinds of ways. And it's only if we come to do this together, if we together totally devote every aspect of our lives to this mission, that the world has changed, that they're going to they're gonna write, I bet, in 10,000, not 10,000, maybe 1,000 years, that little town of Morgan City was turned upside down because of these people who proclaimed the love of God. They experienced something, and they went and talked about that. And they proclaimed this message such that it caused an uproar that brought us closer to Jesus. That mission that St. Paul had is our mission today. 
as we have this, these couple moments of silence before the creed, how is God inviting me to participate in that mission? 